You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. So you guys know I'm Taylor, if you do have never met me, because I actually have seen, uh, there's people in here that I do not know. Um, And I get to speak today, which is always an honor and a privilege and not one that I take lightly. Um, Recently, I was telling Keisha, I don't know why this is, but the Lord started showing me months ago what I would speak on. But also, it's something that's just kind of been stirring in me for even longer than that. But I told her, why is it that I'll get my notes? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll get all this idea a month in advance, but yet still the day of. I'm still, like, rearranging, rewriting, re- reordering. So if it feels like she doesn't know where she's going, might be because I don't. But anyways, the thing that's been stirring inside of me was just this um, realization that I have, and probably you do too, have a lot of pre-like worldviews. I have a lot of things that I've based on my, my life on or that I've thought that were true. I've thought that they were good. I thought they were just, you know, real good things. And recently I've been coming to know that is a load of crap. And some of those things are things like, self-confidence, self-love, self, um, like a journey to self-discovery. And what I've realized is that we are a people who are super obsessed with ourselves. Yeah, so we're, we're not only super obsessed with ourselves, but the enemy has like pumped that up in our culture. So, you know, you would probably be like, well, what, what's wrong with self-confidence? And there's really kind of nothing wrong with it. That's kind of what I thought. What's wrong with self-confidence? Except for that, when you hear the Apostle Paul talk about himself, he says that I am the lowest of all the apostles. When he had a revelation of himself, it was that he was worth nothing, right? And so when we get a true view of us, it should be that we weren't even worth saving, but that God thought that he loved me so much that he died for me anyway, even though I really wasn't worth it. You know, I heard somebody say one time that Jesus or God is not a bad businessman. He never makes a trade that he's gonna come out in the negative, right? So when God sent his son, John 3, 16 says that he sent his son for us so that whosoever would believe would have eternal life. When he did that for us, it meant that he thought we were worth the price of his son. But yet when you look at yourself, when you get like a real view of you, There's really nothing in me that's worth saving except for what God has declared is worth it, right? So what the apostle Paul did, he he saw, he had an accurate view of himself because I found it interesting that he thinks that he was the worst, the lowest of all the apostles. When really, if I were gonna rank him, he was probably like the highest. He did more probably than the rest of them that we, we learn from today. He wrote most of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit entrusted him with the words that would shape the church for generations and generations and generations. But he said of himself, I am the lowest of all the apostles. 
and he did that, he could do that, and God could move in him because he had an accurate view of himself and an accurate view of grace at work in his life. Because God graced him with the ability to do more than he could ever think or imagine. And you look at like Saul, King Saul versus King David. God did not choose David to be king because he was better than Saul. He was actually not. The Bible says that Saul looked like a king. He was built like a king. But what you find when you read their life, when you study their story, Saul had a high opinion of himself. David had a low opinion of himself and a high opinion of God. When Saul gets rebuked, his rebuke isn't, man, I grieved the heart of God. His response is not that I grieved the heart of God. His response was, hey, Samuel, yeah, I get that I did that wrong, but could you just bless me in front of all these people because I don't want to lose face. That was his response when God said, you are wrong. David's response when, when Nathan came to him and said, you are wrong was, I sinned against God. He had an accurate view of himself and, an, and a mighty view of God. And what I have seen in our culture is that we take these things that seem innocent, like self-confidence, self-love, and I get it. Like you need to have, you need to be comfortable in the skin that you're in. God, want, God made you exactly how you are. Everything about you has purpose. That's something that God wants you to do. But if you're looking inside yourself, which is what our culture is telling you to do, find the answers to happiness inside of you. And if you're looking inside of yourself to find the answers of happiness, it's gonna be a fruitless endeavor. You'll spend the rest of your life on that journey and you'll get nowhere. But the Bible says, if we look to God, we'll find ourselves. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. She says, if we concentrate our energies on knowing God, he's going to reveal more to, he's gonna reveal to us more than we can even stand about ourselves. And I thought that was kind of on point and kind of comical. Because the more you know God, the more you're like, God could just stop. Like, I, I get it. That's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. I get it. You know, so God, when you seek God, he's going to show you you, right? Um, the title of this message is A Crisis of Selfishness. I told Jesse, don't put that up there till I get it because I need to like, until I get there because I need to like kind of pump that up because if I were here, I'd be like, I don't want to be preached at. That sounds like a, that's a message I don't want to listen to. And maybe you don't. I don't know. But hey, here you are. Um, yeah. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I found this. And the word crisis means like state of emergency. Like it's, it's bad, right? So here's what this says. This is in the New Living Translation. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days... There will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves. And everything he says after this is kind of, could almost be just a result of loving yourself too much, right? 
So he says, they will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is the last verse. And I loved this one in the New Living Translation. It says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And what I found was like, he's not talking about people in the world. Like they're gonna do that. They're gonna be that. He's talking about leaders, church leaders. He's warning Timothy against church leaders. He's saying, look at the people in your congregation that are professing Christ. Who are these people? Who are these people that want to profess Christ, but then they reject the power to make them godly? And what I find in our culture is that we want to serve God, but we want to look like ourselves while we do it. God wants us to die to ourselves so that we can be transformed into the image of his son. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, he said, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must uh, deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then in um, Ephesians chapter four, verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on your new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I thought that's, that's how you, don't reject the power that makes you godly. Have you guys ever read the parable of the wedding feast? I actually didn't have this written down, so I'm just gonna tell you by memory. I really like this parable. It's such a good picture of this, of what Ephesians is talking about, of not rejecting the power that makes you godly. And in the story, the king is throwing a banquet for his, his son. It's, his, it's a wedding feast, right? And what he does is he goes out and he tells, man, there are noble people that I need to invite to this wedding. Well, he goes out and he tries to invite these noble people to the wedding and they all scoff at him and they say, we don't wanna go. So then the, the, the king comes back and he's angry. Not only do they say that we don't wanna go, they actually kill the servants who sent them, right? So then the king goes out and he says, go tell everyone you find that I'm having a wedding feast and that they are invited. I want everyone there. And then the Bible says that the banquet hall was full. And then it says the king came down to see the guest and he's walking in through the guest and he's looking around and he sees somebody in the banquet hall, but they're not wearing wedding clothes. And the, the king goes to him and he talks to him and he says, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And then he says, and the, the, the Bible says that that man didn't have anything to say. He just was speechless. And then he tells him, you tie him up, throw him out. He is not worthy to be in here. Throw him out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I read that the first time and was like, that's rude. 
he was poor and he could not afford clothes. Like, why didn't you just let him in the, why, the Bible says, come as you are, right? Why couldn't he dine with you? Were you too good for him, God? I mean, and you know what I learned through Bible study and the Holy Spirit? Ask the dumb questions. Ask the questions that, ask God why all the time. You know how we get annoyed when our two-year-olds ask why a lot? God never gets annoyed. He probably gets excited. Hey, they want to know more. So I said, Lord, why? And what I found out was that when a wedding guest was invited to the banquet, they were provided clothes. They were given clothes. So this man came to the banquet. Someone said, hey, here's this brand new thing. I want to give you this. This is a new outfit. You'll, you'll be just like everyone else in this. this um, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be clean. And he was like, nah, I do want to eat your food, but I really don't want to wear those clothes. I don't want to change. I'm going to keep my clothes. And he goes in there and he sits down and God says, you're not worthy. And we're, in case you don't know, we're not talking about clothes. We're talking about the righteousness of God. Too many of us want to partake of the feast, but we don't want to change. We want to, we want all the good things that God has to give us, but we're not willing to die to ourselves. And God's going, how did you get in here? And what's sad is if we don't learn this now, if we don't say God, if we don't fall on our face before God right now, while we're still on earth, when we find out before the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be too late. We all have to give account for what we did with the clothes that God provided for us. Did we wear them? And you know what, God? He's not going, I need you to be perfect. He's not saying, I need you to get this right. I, you know what the Bible says? That when you, when you accept Christ, you are made new instantly. But your, yourself, your flesh has to be made new daily. That's why you say it says that you daily take up your cross. Daily there are things that need to die. When we, when we get comfortable with our sin is when we get in trouble. When we start making excuses for it, that's when we get in trouble. So I want to challenge that thought process that our culture has told us that there is nothing wrong with you. That everything that's good can be found if you just look inside you because the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says to look inside God. You know, the Bible does not say anything about a saving knowledge of self. The Bible says there is a saving knowledge of truth. Truth has a name. His name is Jesus. The more that you know God, the more that you will be saved, right? The more truth you will have. Um, but everything that produces good fruit in our lives is born out of selflessness. But the world tells us that self-centeredness is the key to happiness. And so here's really where I've been seeing this. All of that was just like, the prequel to why you can't hold on to yourself. But this is what I see this acted out in daily life. And I think we all do this. I'm not saying 
that I don't do this because I sure certainly have. Even since I started working on this message, God has been like, hey, you notice that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, sorry. But um, our culture put con- could put conditions on things. And all of our conditions revolve around us. We put conditions on love. We put conditions on friendship. We put conditions on service. We say, I'll love you if. You know, can you take your conditions into your marriage? We have this idea of what can marriage do for me? When why don't we go to our marriage and go, what can I do for this? What can I do for my spouse? What if I had a thought that said, or a mindset that said, I'm gonna give to you even if I don't get in return. Do you know that I have found, I think that would save most marriages, right? If you, if you stopped focusing on what your spouse is not doing and start focusing on what can I do? Yes, you still pray for the thing. You, you meet in prayer what you want to see change, but you do what you can do, and that's gonna be self-sacrifice, right? How, because with, with us, I'll just give you this example. Kobe likes to have breakfast in the morning. I don't like to make breakfast in the morning. I don't like to wake up. He wakes up, he used to wake up at the crack of dawn. He doesn't, and now I get up before him, but either, either way, I have noticed that if I self-sacrifice and get up early and make him breakfast, we have a better marriage. It's like magic. Even though I think it's silly that he needs me to make him breakfast. I also, the other thing, listen, I'm just giving you my real life example. I don't always hit the mark. That's where God's going. Yeah, you see that. But what I'm saying, the other thing that I think is silly that Kobe does is he will come in and be like, hey, can you heat me up food? And I'm like, well, I already made it. I made the food you want me to heat up. Why can't you scoop something out, put it in a bowl, stick it in the microwave and heat it up yourself? I think that's silly. I think it's silly that you can't make your own sandwich. But I know that it's something that he loves. He, 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 he feels better when I do that. And I'm like, you know what? That's something I can do for my husband. Do you know that your, your marriage is a ministry? If you view it as a ministry, how could that change your marriage? That he's the first person that I should minister to in my life. My kids are the next. And if I can minister to my husband and to my kids, you know what? The rest of the people in our lives will benefit for it. If I can put that in order... And so I just want to challenge your thinking because too many people in my life, not just my life, but I mean like in, in everybody's life, have this idea, well, if, I, if you wouldn't do it for me, then I'm not going to do it for you. And we cheer that on. Like we see that on Facebook. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people put on Facebook this rant about, I'm not gonna be that friend anymore that always texts even though my friends never text me back. I'm not gonna be that friend. I'm just done. Why do I always gotta be the one that's doing all the things and nobody else is doing the things for me? And I'm like, yeah, that sucks. But hey, guess what? 
That's, that's what God wants you to do. You know what God said? He said, if they slap your cheek, turn your other cheek. Right? Self-sacrifice. We have puffed ourselves up that we think we're too good to be the one that always has to text. Now, for me, it's like God's like, why can't you be the one who reaches out and texts your friend? <laughs> I'm like, friends, don't quit texting me just because I don't answer you. <laughs> Keisha's got a hanky wave. She's about to start whipping out. But you know what I'm saying? I'm, I, what I'm wanting you to do right now is challenge your mindset. In what way have I gone along with culture? In what way is culture different from what the Bible says? We put conditions on our service. Well, I'll serve at the church so long as it's not inconvenient for me. So long as I don't have to cancel my plans. So long as I don't have to do this. So long as the nursery's not too crazy, I'll serve in the nursery. So long as the kids' church isn't too wild, I'll serve in the kids' church. And here's my deal. If it were easy, we wouldn't need you. If it were easy, if it cost you nothing, would it be service? Oh, but anyways, listen, guys, service costs you something, right? But you know what's beautiful about it is God's not saying, I want you to give of you, 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 and get nothing in return. What it is, is it's a kingdom principle. When you give, God will bless. I'm not looking to give to my nursery so that my church can bless me. I'm looking to give to my church so that God can bless me, right? We have to change our mindset. You know, when I was thinking about this and what I was thinking was that it, we sometimes go to God and we're a lot like Cass at bedtime. We, we just started Cass on a bedtime routine. And so what we do, we have a routine. And if you ask Cass the routine, he can name all the things. I always tell Cass, I want you to go get your pajamas. I want you to go brush your teeth. I want you to get in bed, read a book. We're gonna pray. We're gonna get two kisses from mom. And then we're gonna go to sleep. That's my thing. And Cass, I'll, I'll go through the deal with Cass and then he'll say, okay, mom, but how about this? Listen, mom, how about we, we get our teeth, we, we get a book, we watch a show, we go to bed. And he always wants to add his own thing. He's like, I heard what you said, mom, but my way's better. And he's like wanting to negotiate with me. And I feel like, do we look like that with God sometime? God, I'll serve you if. God, I can do Sunday at 10. I can do Wednesday at 6. But um, I cannot do Wednesday or Saturday in the morning because I'm planning on going out on Friday night. And I can't get up that early. I'm going to be busy that day, God. So that's, that's like the world day, but this is you day. So these are the days I can give you, God. And I'm like, do we negotiate with God? And this is what I find where we all need to get to. When Isaiah says, when Isaiah gives the account of his encounter with God in, in Isaiah chapter six, and I didn't give them this either, but I know it by heart because I thought it was so good. He says, Whoa, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, 
and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the Bible says that when the seraphim said that, that the doorpost and the thresholds shook at the sound of their voices. And that spoke to me because they were that powerful. Can you picture angels, six wings? They have to cover their face because they can't gaze upon the glory of God and survive. They have to cover their feet because they can't be exposed to the glory of God and survive. And they see God and they're saying, holy, holy is the Lord. And they're so powerful that the doorposts and the thresholds shook at their voice, but yet they say, holy is God. I'm like, wow, God, I have not even scratched the surface of who you are. I have, in my little experience of what I've have experienced of God, it's awesome and it's mighty but I haven't even scratched the surface. Who am I to negotiate with God when God says, I want everything? But here's what, here's what Isaiah said when he saw God seated on his throne. He said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I have seen the Lord seated on his throne. Wow, that's our response when we see God. We're nothing, but yet he loves us anyways. Who are we to negotiate with God? Um, Job tells us that we can look to nature and learn about God. And one of the best examples that I see for painting a picture for the beauty of selflessness that if we wanted to live a beauty, a life of selflessness, why should we do it? Why is that a beautiful thing? Um, is found in the way God designed procreation. So when a woman is pregnant, she, she carries a baby for nine months. In nine months, she has to give completely of herself. That baby growing inside of her is going to affect every part of her body. Her hair is gonna be affected. Her eyes are gonna be affected. Your brain is gonna be affected. Your memory, your body's gonna stretch. Your hips are gonna move. All the, all the parts of you are gonna, are nothing, no part of you will be untouched by that baby. And then at the very end of that nine months, your reward is to have to physically push it out of your body. So God's like, hey, you did all this. You gave all this, do one more. And that's by design. God designed it to be that way. You have to give of yourself to bring new life into the world. And then when this baby is here, God says, let me take it one step further. You know, now we can choose how we feed our babies. I've done both formula and nursing. But when you have a nursing mom, what she does is she has to give of her body to feed this baby. And what's so cool is God provided her with everything she needs. She has everything she needs to not only feed the baby, but for that baby to thrive. And so what she does is she has to be there every night 
whenever she wants to be asleep, she has to show up. Whenever she has to be willing to open herself up to the pain of nursing, to the pain or the sickness that could be associated with nursing, she has to be willing to do that so that her baby can have sustenance. And um, I heard somebody talking about this and I thought it was so profound. She said, you know what's interesting about that is that when you come to a place in nursing and you're, you're sick and you, you like want, what you want to do is you want to run and hide. You want to like curl up in a ball. You want to quit. You don't want to keep going. You don't want to do this again. Do you know what the answer almost always is to pain? Feed the baby. It's, and I like if you think about that, the thing that hurt you, you have to give of yourself one more time and it's gonna be the quickest way to healing. And what the Lord showed me is how many of us, our breakthrough is on the other side of self-sacrifice. How many of our breakthroughs are on the other side of laying ourselves down? And whenever I heard her say that about, you always, you have to keep feeding the baby because that's what's going to bring you relief. That's what's going to bring you health. And I heard her say that and I heard Jesus's voice or Jesus's words to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And that's in uh, John chapter 21. Uh, starting in verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And I thought, did Peter have to hear that three times? One, because he denied God three times, so God was reinstating him. But also because Peter was gonna have to deal with people. He was gonna have to come into hardships. And every time he would have to hear the voice of Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Because there were going to be times when Peter wanted to quit. There were going to be times when Peter wanted to hole up and be, um, to kind of guard his own self. You know, there were going to be times where Peter was going to want to look after himself. But God, or Jesus, equates love for him for service to his people. And so he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And I asked the Holy Spirit is one of those things where you say, God, why is that like that? I wanted to know why it was that Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. This is how you're going to die. Follow me. That didn't seem to me like it just totally flowed. 
So I was like, Holy Spirit, why did Jesus do that? Why did he, why did he put it in that order? And the Holy Spirit said, because I wanted him to know it would cost him everything. I wanted him to know that when he answered the call to feed my sheep, it would cost him his very life. And then I said, do it anyway. Peter, Peter understood that there was nothing God could ask him to give this side of heaven that was not worth what he was going to have in store when he reached that side of heaven. And I want to know how many of us, our breakthrough is on the other side of, hey, do it anyway. Last week, Kobe was asked to preach, and it was Sunday. So if you were here Sunday, it was amazing. But also, it was hard. I remember like a week before or two couple of weeks ago, he knew he was going to speak. Well, I knew I was going to speak Wednesday. And he was like, when he found out, he was like, I just don't think I can do it. And I was like, um, I just knew in that moment because I wanted to be like, well, hey, we could switch. You could take Wednesday. I'll take Sunday. Like, I already know what I'm going to talk about. And um, I just felt God say, no, he needs to do it. He needs to push through it. You know what I mean? And that's a practical example of when I don't feel like I have anything to give, give anyway. When I don't feel like I can, do it anyway. When I want to say, hey, I got to hoard all the things. I got to back up because the world is chaos. I can't, I don't have any answers for you. Like I'm, I'm scared too. Do it anyway. Feed my sheep. Show up. Serve. Do it anyway. And um, you guys can go ahead and stand up. But I want to challenge us today to examine our responses. When, when, when we, because, you know, we are in this place right now where everything's crazy. You know, God may say give and we're like, God, but I can't. I, I have to hoard because everything's uncertain. Give anyway. Do anyway. Serve anyway. I don't have time. I have no time. Serve anyway. What area in your life? I'm not, I'm not saying go and be reckless, go and be silly. But what I am saying is check your motive. Whose voice are you following? Ask yourself that before you make decisions. Before you say no, before you say I won't, before you say I have to hold tight to this, whose voice am I following? Am I following the voice of my father or am I following the voice of another? Will I give of myself even if it costs me everything? And here's what I know. It's probably not gonna cost you everything. It's probably not. It's, it's most likely not. You know, I look at the people in, the U- in Ukraine right now and the churches, the stories I've heard coming out of the churches and I'm like, God, wow. Whenever people were leaving, there were church leaders saying, no, right now is when people are gonna need to hear a voice of hope. Right now is when it says, Peter, do you love me? Stay here, feed my sheep. They need you. And would I be a person who was willing to do that? Would I be a person who was willing to put my life on the line because I believe that he is so good and that other people need to know that he is so good? that I would be. But what I know 
is that I'll probably never be asked to do that. God is probably, I mean, he might, but he's probably not gonna ask you to quit your job, move across the world, live in a hut, be a missionary. He's probably not gonna ask you to do that, but what if he asks you to sacrifice an hour of sleep a day? What if he says, hey, stop watching that Netflix video, come talk to me. What if he asks you to do daily little things that are uncomfortable because there'll be less of you and more of him? And if we can't be trusted with the daily little things that don't matter, how can God trust us when it does matter? I wanna leave you guys with this verse. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And I just want you guys take that home with you this week, meditate on it. What does it mean that Christ died for me so that I wouldn't live for myself, so that I would live for him? Father God, I just lift up this group of people, God, this church to you, Lord. Your, your global church, God. I thank you, God, that you are correcting mindsets. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough that you would correct us, that you wouldn't leave us in this broken state, God, but that you love us so much that you want better for our lives than we even want for ourselves. God, I pray that we have the courage to lay our life down, to pick up your, your life, your righteousness, God. God, that we have the courage to follow your lead and to be your hands and your feet in this time, God. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.